Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Mm, everybody stand to your feet with me. I need to pray. <laughs> I need Jesus. Hmm. There's a meme that I love. It said, uh, I saw it, it said, uh, people ask, do I need the Holy Spirit to go to heaven? Bro, you need the Holy Spirit to go to Walmart. <laughs> I need the Holy Spirit. So let's just, I'll just put your hands out in front of you like this, and let's just ask the Holy Spirit to have his way in this place. Hmm. Holy Spirit, have your way. Father, I pray that you would move by your power in this room. God, I pray that hearts would be touched, that eyes would be opened, that ears would be opened, that lives would be transformed, that people would be set free, that you would take people to the next degree of glory. Father, we thank you that your word says that now with unveiled faces beholding the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed from, into that same image from one degree of glory to another. And so, Father, I pray that every single person here would go to the next degree of glory. Father, move in this place. Have your way. Do whatever you want to do in this service in our lives tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Hallelujah. This is a special place, man. I, I have a special place in my heart for Brooklyn Teen Challenge. I love hearing these tests. These guys are walking miracles. <laughs> it, If you know any atheists, would you do me a favor and bring them here next week just to let them hear these testimonies and see if they're still atheists when they leave? Because the, these are walking proof of the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? And, and I love this program. I, I, many of you don't know this. I did, I did an internship at Brooklyn Teen Challenge. About 10 years ago, Pastor Charles was the director. and That must have been your first year or your second year maybe when I came. And so I, I, I did an internship of, of a couple months while I was in Bible college. I came and I, I stayed in Nikki Cruz's old room at, at the original building there. And, and uh, it, it was honestly probably the two most transformative months of my entire life. I, was, I, d I never did the program. I never went. But just that two months of interning, or interning in that building, in this program, was the two most transformative months of my life. Uh, I, I saw my first healing in that two months on the streets. We went out and did street outreach. I, what, what, what Brian was saying is Brian, right? Was, yeah, Brian. What Brian was saying about prayer is so true. It, it's the only key that I know to advancement. <laughs> That's the only key. I wish I could give you the seven steps to success. I only know one. Right? And it's the only key that Jesus gave us. He said, if anyone who wants to bear fruit, abide in me. That's the one key, right? And so that's what I did that summer. I just, man, that summer I devoured the word. I stayed in prayer. I was fasting, sitting in that bunk in, that, in Nikki Cruz's old room, just fasting and praying. And, and one day the Lord spoke to me in prayer, and he said, he said faith never hesitates. And so I, I, I took that. I said, okay, faith never hesitates. So we went out on the streets the next day to do the, the prayer. They had the prayer center back then. I don't know if you guys still do that, but they had the prayer center outreach. And we went out to do the prayer center, and I was walking around on the streets of Brooklyn, and I saw a lady walking on crutches, and it came back to my mind, faith never hesitates. So I ran up to that lady walking on crutches, and I said, listen, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe he can heal you right now. Do you mind if I pray for you? And she said, yes, I'm a Christian. Go ahead. I was like, oh, thank you, God. You gave me an easy one for, <laughs> for the first try. And uh, <laughs> so, so I kneeled down, and I put my hand on her ankle, and, and, and I began to pray, and her ankle popped under my hand, and she handed me the crutches, and she walked away. And uh, <laughs> since then, I've seen hundreds, if not thousands, of healings and miracles, but that was the first one on the streets of Brooklyn. I, I, I ministered deliverance for the first time in the prayer room in, in that original house with a young man who had just come in. I began to pray over him. And he began to manifest. I, I'm, I'm two years saved at this point, right? Like, like maybe three years saved at this point. So I'm like, okay, God, we're doing this. It was just me and him. We were the only two people down there. It was just me and him. So, okay, God, we're doing this. But, 
But God, but God gave me the confidence, and, and I was able to minister deliverance in the prayer room that night. Uh, I, I had the most ecstatic vision I've ever had in prayer in that room at 2 a.m. I mean, so th- this summer w- in this program was so transformative in my life. So I'm so excited to be here. Uh, I'm excited to see that God is still moving in the ministry of Brooklyn Teen Challenge. Lives are still being transformed. Miracles are still being made. And, uh, and I'm excited to be here this evening. Amen? As Pastor Paul said, you know, we travel, uh, my ministry, I travel around the world, I preach the gospel, uh, we do crusades, we plant churches, Uh, so, you know, I'm a church planner, I'm a missionary, I'm an evangelist, I'm a husband, I'm a father, but uh, I'm also a rapper, and... uh, <laughs> and Pastor Paul didn't know that till till yesterday, uh, but I also rap. I also rap. So I figured I'd do a song for you guys. You guys want to hear a song? Okay, I'm gonna do a song. This is off my latest CD. Uh, my latest CD is like three or four years old now. <laughs> but I'm gonna do a song on my latest CD, and uh, and this song is called "Like the River Runs." And uh, and basically the message of the song is that no matter what comes, no matter what the enemy tries to throw at me, no matter what obstacles, no matter what persecution, no matter what suffering, I will never stop preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ until the day I die. Hmm. After experiencing the grace of God, I can't do anything else. And listen, this is not just something I'm saying. It's been tested. (laughs) I've stood stood in front of the central mosque of a Muslim city and preached the gospel. (laughs) I, 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 I've preached the gospel in a crusade in a closed country under, under death threats. Okay, this is, this, is, this is not something that's been untested. I, I, I know, I am convinced that I will never stop preaching the gospel until the day I die. Amen? Amen. So go ahead and play that beat. This song is called Like the River Runs. Wrong one. Like the river runs. Like the river runs, so will we. You guys can stand up. Stand to your feet. Yeah. The river stay running, so do we. Even if we far from home, they will never stop me. We unstoppable. In another country, a language we don't speak, we run and pound the pavement with these beautiful feet. Proving what we preach to these unusual peeps. The dudes who no one sees, they need a beautiful scene. When the love of God comes, bring them down to their knees. The gospel is power. It's all that we need, and I'm going to take it to the ends of the earth. Man, I've never been a man that tends to bend when it hurts, so I'm going to preach it even if it's going to end in the dirt. I know where I'm going to go to be afraid is absurd. Waste my days chasing paper while I'm here on this earth. While there's people out there dying and they ain't even heard. Nah, saving bakes at home where it's worth is eternal. In heaven where I'm from, where I long to return to. But I stay here running, hoping some of them turn. Because my father isn't willing, even one of them burns. So I stay in this race, in this life, it ain't nothing. I'm going to stay at this pace. Jesse Owens, I'm running. I'm running. For a prize, can't relax and stop brushing. Greatest enemy in life is in Satan, it's comfort. Hey. So, will we? Yeah. Like the river runs. So, will we? Check it out. So I ain't going nowhere, bruh, nah. You hurrying this? I'm a Sharpie marker. I'm permanent. Last long, last long like preservatives. Still keep a hopping hydraulics like a turn kit. Like a pyro, I go and burn this, give them away, cause the people need to hear this. Fresher than a meal served by Ramsey when I serve spits, purchased and redeemed. I was made just for this. Sir, this is a problem if you think I'm gonna stop and scream with Jesus in my bars till I'm sitting up where God is. Pass the ball, kid, I promise not to drop it. I'll fight you till I'm dead, homie. Failure's not an option, so stop it. 
you got a problem, resolve it. We're never gonna stop till I'm stone cold and boxed up. Raised from the dead, set free when I was locked up. He promised we'd be mocked. Remember when you mock us. So will we? Like the river runs. So will we? Check it out. Yeah. That's why I rep this thing hard like a letterman jacket. Resign from the world. No severance package. This the new Reverend Jesse. Not ending in Jackson. Flow colder than Iceman. Flyer than Maverick. Top gun in his Navy boy. So how you gonna stop the ranks? How you place a blockade against a flock of tanks? You wouldn't say you got game if you ain't never played. How you say the reign of God? You ain't never prayed. How you say I'm gonna fall? I'm in the arms of grace. Every mountain in my way is gonna get replaced. Thrown into the ocean. Cause you know I got that muscle faith. Protect until I'm gone, touchable as some would say. Hundred ways to kill my body, you can't touch my soul. If they kill me, I better off a hundredfold till that day comes. Press on to represent the throne until my race is done. I'm finished up and headed home. So will we. Like the river runs. So will we. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, even the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. All right. You can be seated. <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Listen, I want to get into the word. I'll leave a couple CDs at the home for you guys, okay? Uh, I want to get into <laughs> one for you too because you, cause you were bold enough to raise your hand. <laughs> oh, now everyone's going to raise their hand. <laughs> Listen, I want to get into the word. I, when I was invited to come again, as soon as the invitation came, I knew what I wanted to preach. And, uh, and that's not normal for me. Usually I don't know until worship <laughs> what I'm going to preach. And, uh, and so I knew instantly what I wanted to preach. And I really feel like God uh, just really has a specific word for this evening. Uh, so I'm excited to share it with you. Amen. And, and, and what I want to instruct you on this evening, I want to teach you how to grow up and grow into the, into the purpose that God has for your life. Amen. Because, you know, a lot of people, they know, they see, they see the crusades and they see the churches that, that we've, we've been planting around the world. So they know I'm passionate about evangelism. They know I'm passionate about church planting. But what people don't always, always uh, see is, is that probably 20 hours a week that I spend just in one-on-one discipleship with people. Like, as, much, as passionate as I am about evangelism, I'm not passionate about decisions. I'm passionate about disciples. Like, I, I am passionate about seeing people achieve everything that God created them to be. Like, like that's what I want to see. I want to see people achieve greatness. I want to see everybody around me achieve greatness. Like, I love seeing people make it. I don't understand jealousy. I, I don't get it. Like, like, I love seeing people achieve greatness, first and foremost spiritually, but also just in, in, in life, right? Like, I'm the only non-Patriots, non-Buccaneers fan that was rooting for Brady to get that seventh ring, right? I just, I want to see people achieve greatness, right? <laughs> I just made a lot of enemies. <laughs> you, you guys know the show Shark Tank? It's my favorite show. I've seen every episode, right? <laughs> it's my favorite show. And if you don't know the premise, it's these, like, billionaire, millionaire investors, right? And they sit on this panel, and people will come in, and they'll pitch their product or their invention or their business to these investors and try to get an investment from these sharks, right? And so I, I love that show, and my wife laughs at me because they'll be watching it, and, and they'll, like, I just love the moment when they make it. 
when they get a deal. So I'll be watching it. Because it's like these people have been like living in their mom's basement eating nothing but top ramen for the last five years trying to make it in this business. And they finally get this deal and you know they're going to be a millionaire. I'll just start crying. Like <laughs> I'm so happy for them, right? And my wife, my wife is sitting there laughing at me. But... <laughs> But I just, I love seeing people make it. I love seeing people achieve greatness. And I love, especially in the church, I love seeing men and women step into their purpose that God has created for them. Church, church, you have a purpose. You have a purpose. And your purpose is not to sit in in the chair on your hands until Jesus comes back. (laughs) You have a purpose on this earth, and especially for you students. One of the most important things you need to have when you leave this place is, is you need to understand your purpose. Because that's going to keep you moving forward. If, if, if you graduate this program and your purpose is to stay clean and, and, and hope to find a church and sit on your hands and wait for Jesus to come back, it's not enough. <laughs> Jesus has a purpose for you on this earth, right? I heard a preacher say it this way. He said, he said if God's purpose for your life was just for you to get to heaven, you would have disappeared when you prayed the prayer. but he left you here because he has a purpose for you. So I want to teach you this evening how to, how to grow up and grow into that purpose. And, uh, and just, I'm going to give you just the two minutes. Some of you know my testimony. I'm going to give you the two-minute version just so you know that I, I know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> just so you know I know what I'm talking about. Because I've only been saved for 13 years. 13 years ago, I was a drug addict. I was addicted to everything from, from weed to cocaine and pain pills, and I, I was in the exact same position that a lot of you guys have been in at one point in your life, right? I was in and out of jail, multiple felonies, extremely violent, right? Like, that was my entire life. I was a drug dealer. That was my entire life. I got saved 13 years ago in a prison chapel. I had an encounter with Jesus that radically transformed my life forever. I couldn't stay the same. Like, I I actually had a vision of Jesus. I could feel his power coursing through my entire body, and I was born again. I was absolutely changed from the inside out in a moment, and within a year, I was in Bible college. (laughs) Within one year, I was president of my class in the Bible college, a year after my last time in the prison, right? And, And so since then, you know, 13 years, fast forward 13 years, um, you know, it's crazy to me what God has allowed me to do. God has allowed me to travel to, to over 30 countries, ministering, preaching the gospel. Uh, I've seen thousands come to Christ. I've seen, I've seen healings and miracles and, and, and deaf ears open and mute people speak and, and crippled people walk and demons cast out. I've, well, God has allowed me to plant churches on four continents. I've only been saved 13 years. Right, like God has like, in, in 2019 alone, God allowed God allowed us to plant uh, 12 churches in three different nations, all in majority Muslim and Hindu areas. <laughs> so I'm I'm not saying any of that any of that to brag. I'm saying that because I want you to understand that God wants to do the same thing through you. It might look different. Everyone has a different calling. Everyone has a different part to play. But the same amount of fruit He wants to bear through you. Right. So I want to teach you tonight how to get there. I want to teach you how to grow up and grow into the purpose that God has for your life. So open your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter four. We're going to start there. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Starting in verse 13. The Bible says until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up Turn to your neighbor and say, grow up. <laughs> I, I, feel like, I feel like some of the married couples might have enjoyed that too much. <laughs> so, I don't know why. Some of the wives had a big smile on their face when they just did that. I'm going to pray for you guys. 
We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Church, it is the will of God for you this evening to grow up. Paul says that we may no longer be children, but we're to grow up. And it says, and it says to every way, into him who is the head, into Christ. Right? And, and, and I love this. This is just a side note. It's not what I'm preaching on, but a side note. I love that it says, uh, to the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood. And then later on it says, into him who is the head, into Christ. So, so, so men who are here, I want you to understand as a side note that, that mature masculinity looks like Jesus. If you have a picture in your mind of what it looks like to be a mature man or to be masculine and it doesn't look like Jesus, it's been twisted by the devil. <laughs> Jesus is the ultimate picture of masculinity and mature manhood. Being able just as quickly to cry and weep over the lost as you are to flip over tables in the temple, right? Being just as quick to, 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 to minister mercy to a broken woman who's, who's been caught in sin as you are to call out religious hypocrites, right? Like, like being willing to sacrifice your life for the people around you. That's what it looks like to be a mature man, to be willing to sacrifice your life for the people around you. He is the ultimate picture of mature manhood. Amen? Amen. So we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. So then the question is, how do we grow up? How do we grow up? So I want to give you this evening three stages of growth in the life of every Christian. Amen? Go with me to 1 John chapter 2. Three stages of growth in the life of every Christian. I'm going to try to be brief. I'm not good at it. <laughs> I'm going to do my best. I go overseas. I go to Africa. They say, can you preach for three hours? I'm like, yeah, sure, no problem. I come, I come back to America. Can you preach for 30 minutes? I don't know. <laughs> I'll give it a shot. <laughs> Amen. First John 2, starting in verse 12. The Bible says, I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you've overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, the word of God abides in you, and you've overcome the evil one. Hallelujah. I want to give you the three stages of growth in the life of every single Christian. The first stage, what, is, what does John say? He says, I write to you, children. If you want to grow into, into mature adulthood in Christianity, you must first be willing to become a child. <laughs> Jesus says, <laughs> I love this story. You can see this story. It's in at least three of the Gospels. And when you put them all together, you kind of get the whole picture, right? There's this story. The disciples had been going out and doing some cool things, and they've been seeing fruit, and they've been seeing cool things happen in their lives. And so they come back, and they begin arguing amongst themselves who's the greatest in the kingdom of God, right? And so then somebody has the genius idea, let's ask Jesus. I'm glad it doesn't tell me which disciple had that idea because it would be hard not to judge him for that. They say there are no stupid questions, but, I mean, come on. So, so, someone, so they decide, we're going to go ask Jesus. So they go to Jesus. They say, Jesus, which one, which one is the greatest? In other, words, in other words, Jesus, out of us 12, who's the best, right? Jesus looks at him. He doesn't like his options, right? So the Bible says... The Bible says he takes a small child and placing him in the midst of them, he gives himself 13, 13 options. 
He says, this child. And unless you can become like this child, you'll never see the kingdom of God. In order to become a man or a woman, okay, I'm just saying men because that's what the verse says, but it's for everyone, okay? In order to become a man or a woman in, in Christ, you must first be willing to become a child. See, children, children are, are very good at accepting and believing and trusting. Adults, adults not so much, right? But children excel in, in simplicity. They excel in accepting, believing, and trusting. In order to come to him, you must accept that he is who he says he is, right? Believe that Jesus died for your sins and God raised him from the dead and trust him with your life, right? You have to be able to. So, so in order to become mature in Christ, you must first become a child. And the Bible gives us two marks of what it means to be a child in the faith, right? The first thing that it says, listen again. It says in verse 12, I'm writing to you little children because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. This is the first step in growth, church. Isn't this the first step? That you come to God with the filthy mess of your sins, like just totally entangled and overcome by sin, by addiction, by selfishness, by lies, by whatever else had plagued and overcome your life before Christ. And you come to him with those things and you lay them at his feet and he totally 100% forgives you of everything. He washes it away. He forgets it happened. He gives you a new slate, right? He says you're a new creation. The old is gone and behold, the new has come. The Bible says that he separates your sin from you as far as the east is from the west. And though our sins are like scarlet, he makes them white as snow. Right? This is the first step. That we come to God and we receive forgiveness for everything we've ever done. Fresh start, clean slate. Step one, right? The second thing that the, the second the second thing it says about children, it says, I write to you, children. Because you know the Father. Hmm. Those are the first two steps in, in growth in Christ, right? First you come to him and you have your sins forgiven. You accept that. You believe that he's forgiven you of your sins. And then you enter into a relationship with a new father. And you come to know what it means to have God as your father, right? And, and by the way, church, if you, if you are dealing with a new believer and you're beginning to disciple them, this is the first two things to teach them. We get caught up in secondary things and try to make them primary. The first two things to teach a new believer is that their sins are forgiven and that God is their father. That's the first two revelations that they need. <clears throat> so you come into a relationship with God as your father. And the Bible says that he gives you a spirit of adoption by whom we can cry, Abba, Father, that we are co-heirs with Christ. And we enter into this intimacy with the Father, right? But one thing that I want you to understand this evening is that fatherhood looked very different in ancient Rome than it looks today, right? When you want to understand the, what the Bible is saying, you have to understand it in the context in which it was written, right? And so if you look at ancient Roman context and modern American context, fatherhood is, is viewed on two polar opposite ends of the extreme spectrum, right? Like in ancient Rome, it was a patriarchal society. And I'm not saying one is better and one is worse, right? I'm just, I'm just telling you the, the facts, right? In ancient Rome, it was a patriarchal society. The father was the ruler of the family, right? In modern America, you want to you know what modern America thinks about fatherhood? Watch The Simpsons. Don't really watch The Simpsons. I'm sorry, pastors, for suggesting that. But you, you, get, you get the idea. Watch a sitcom. I, I can't watch sitcoms. A, a, like, this is the mentality, right? Is that every father is just kind of the fool that messes everything up, and then the mom comes and cleans up the mess, right? But this is the mentality of what fatherhood is in, in modern America. In ancient Rome, it was the polar opposite, right? In fact, there was a law in ancient Rome called the, the, the Patria Potestis. The Patria Potestis. And this law was basically the absolute right of the father over his children. The father had absolute right over his children and even to the point of death. He had the legal right 
to put his child to death in ancient Rome. Right? Like, like that's it. And, and the other crazy thing is that that, that patria potestis never ended. So the, the child could be grown, have their own family, their own kids, and the father is still telling his son where to live, where to work, who to marry, what to do, because the patria potestis never expired. So when Paul wrote to the Romans, he said, You have received a spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry out the Father. You have to understand what that meant to them. Adoption in this time in ancient Rome was a very in-depth procedure. There was five, uh, five uh, uh, rituals that you had to go through in order to be adopted. So you had to go through three rituals to sever the patria potestis of the birth father. And then you had to go through, because I mean, that was his, his right, right? So you had to sever that right, and then you had to go through two more rituals to give that patria potestis to a new father. That's what adoption meant in ancient Rome. Church, why does this matter, right? What am I talking about? The reason this matters is because when you come to God and you come to know him as your father, it's not just that the relationship, it's not just being a co-heir, it's not just the acceptance and the inheritance, right? It's all those things, but it's also surrender rendering the patria potestis of your life to a new father. <sighs> it's surrendering your life to him. It's coming to him and saying, God, I give you the patria potestis of my life. You tell me where to go. You tell me where to work. You tell me who to marry. My life is no longer mine. It's yours. <laughs> Listen, when you come to God like that, it is amazing what he will do in your life. <sighs> There's nowhere in the Bible that says, that says just make God a part of your life. No, we give him our lives. People say, How, why did you grow so quickly? Listen, first of all, it's only by the grace of God that I'm even standing here, right? But the only thing that I know that, that, that I did, and it was because I had come to a place in my life where I didn't want my life. My life was terrible. I didn't want it anymore. <laughs> so when I came to God, I said, God, I don't want this life. If you want it, take it. It's yours. <laughs> it was easy for me. You know. But listen, that, that's how we come to God. We give him the patriot potestas. A good question to think about and, and you know... <laughs> The reality is, is that God is probably not going to call everyone in this room to move to Africa tomorrow, right? He, he, needs, people, he needs people here in the States. He has you in your, in your workplace for a purpose. He wants to reach the people there. He wants to use you in the place where you are. If you, if you will allow him, he will use you in powerful ways right where you are. He probably won't call you to sell everything and move to Africa tomorrow. But what if he did? That's a tough question. Would you go? Hmm. In other words, who owns your life? Do you own the rights to your life, or have you surrendered them to a new father? Guys, I feel like I should have the altar call, but I'm still on my first point. <laughs> I have a conundrum. <laughs> Jesus. All right, so going on. So, so, so the, second, the second stage of growth. That's the first stage. You have, your, you have your sins forgiven, and you come to know God as your Father, and you surrender your life to Him. And by the way, for many people, that sounds like the end goal, <laughs> right? To fully surrender your life to God, that's the end goal, right? No, that's step one. That's the first stage of growth. You, you can't skip that and expect to continue to grow. You can't go to stage two without completing stage one, right? So the first, the first step is surrendering your life to a new father. Hallelujah. You guys with me? Listen, if I, if I don't start getting a few more amens, I'll just keep preaching until I feel like I have you convinced in what I'm saying. <laughs> if anyone wants to sleep tonight, you guys got to be with me a little more. <laughs> It's okay to have a little bit of fun in church. Amen? Amen. All right. So listen, the, the next stage of growth, look at verse 14. It says, I write to you young men because you are strong. The word of God abides in you. 
and you've overcome the evil one. Once you, once you do stage one of growth, you, be, you, you make God your father, your sins are forgiven, you surrender to him. Then you enter into the second stage of growth, which I call spiritual adolescence, right? Or being a young man in the faith. And the Bible gives us three, three markers of spiritual adolescence in this passage. The first one it says, it says, you become strong. You become strong. When, you, when you're a child in the faith, it's highly emotional, Right, Paul says, I don't want you to be children anymore, tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine and human cunning. But that's what it looks like when you're a child in the Lord, right? One day everything's amazing. The next day everything's terrible, right? One day Jesus is the most amazing that's ever happened to you. The next day it, it just everything's a disaster. One day this is the best teacher in the world. The next day he's a heretic, right? Like you're just constantly tossed to and fro in, in that phase of growth. But when you become a young man, you become strong. You become steadfast in what you believe. I, I remember when I was a child in the faith. I went to Bible college. My, my first year in Bible college, I was very much in this trial phase, right? Like tossed to and fro by everything and, and my own emotions and my own temptations, right? And just tossed to and fro. I remember one day, I, I, the, the, the day before this, um, <laughs> So, so, right, one, one day I'm, like, worshiping and experiencing the presence of God, crying, everything's amazing, and then the next day I'm in prayer and I don't feel him the same way, right? So everything's horrible and everything's falling apart because I'm still a baby, right? And so I remember praying this psalm. There's a, there's a psalm that David prays. He says, God, will you hide your face from me forever? I remember sitting in my dorm room praying that prayer, right? And then I went to chapel that day. <clears throat> The president of my Bible college got up on stage. The guy that we were supposed to have preach was sick. So the president of my Bible college, he gets up on stage, and, and he says, I, I want to read a psalm. And he opens the Bible, and he reads that psalm. And so I'm like, I'm like in it, right? Like, I'm like, this is, okay, this is for me. I'm going to listen. This is going to be amazing. God's going to speak to me. He gets to reading that psalm. He says, I have the feeling some of you have been praying this psalm. Like, my jaw drops. And then he says, I think that's a stupid prayer. But it is. It's a stupid prayer, right? Of course God's not going to hide his face from me. He's my father. But when you're a baby, you're tossed to and fro by your feelings, right? When you become a, a, a young man in the Lord, you become strong. I might not feel him today like I felt him yesterday, but I know that he's with me because he's promised to never leave me nor forsake me. He's promised to be with me even to the end of the age. I might feel uh, a sickness coming on, but I know that by his stripes I have been healed. You become strong. You're not ruled by your emotions, by your feelings. You become steadfast in what you believe. That's the first mark of being a young man in the Lord. The second mark of spiritual adolescence it says the word of God abides in you. You, be, you become strong, and the word of God abides in you. Church, this is not a normal book. I, it's sad to me to see many people treating this like a normal book. This is, this is not a normal book. It's not like I could read this book or George Meyer's new book or Joel or whoever's new book. No, those are all fine. I'm not saying anything against reading other books, but this is not the same, okay? They're not the same as this. This is the living and active Word of God. <laughs> and there's something supernatural that happens when you begin to abide in this book. I'm going to show you. Go with me to John. Chapter 8, John chapter 8, verse 31, the Bible says, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. This is the first, the, the first step of what happens when you begin to abide in the word. You begin to understand the truth, and that truth sets you free. A lot of people never get free because they never abide in the word, so they don't know the truth. 
they have catchphrases that they heard on a Sunday morning, but they don't really know the truth. If you abide in my word, you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. But then, but then flip ahead seven chapters to John 15. This is, this is what's amazing. When I saw this, I got excited. Listen, so, so we have seven chapters of development between John 8 and John 15. And listen to what Jesus says in John 15, uh, verse 7. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, then ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So church, there's a process that's taking place. I want you to see this. There's a process that's taking place that in John 8, he's saying, abide in my word. The disciples begin to abide in his word. But as you abide in this word, something supernatural happens where the word begins to take root in your spirit and begins to come alive inside of you. And you begin to have revelation. And and that revelation is what brings manifestation. And you start seeing the things that are written in this Bible appear in your life, right? But because the word has gone from you abiding in the word to now the word is abiding in you. And that's when Jesus says, then ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. He doesn't say that the first time. (laughs) He says, abide in my word, and you're going to come to know the truth, and the truth is going to make you free. And then seven chapters later, if my words abide in you, then ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. (sighs) Church, there's something supernatural that happens when you begin to abide in the word of God. It takes root in your spirit and begins to manifest in your life church we have a a, a, you know what the real pandemic is biblical illiteracy (laughs) we i'm gonna get myself in trouble saying stuff like that i'm not saying the other one's not real okay just understand (laughs) but another pandemic biblical illiteracy We have more copies of more versions of the Bible than any generation in history, and yet we don't read it. You know, the disciples were happy to have a a scroll of Isaiah. Church, we need to begin to abide in this word like never before. And if you abide in this word, it will begin to abide in you. And then ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. That's the second stage. I said I'd be brief. Okay, I'm, I'm going to wrap up in just a few minutes. That's the second stage uh, of spiritual adolescence. The Word of God abides in you. The, the third marker of spiritual adolescence is you overcome the evil one. I write to you, young men, because you've overcome the evil one. You overcome sin issues in your life. Those things that once held you captive no longer hold you captive. Church, I, I, read, I read a statistic a few years back, and, and I think it's gone up about 10% since then. I saw another statistic, but I don't remember the numbers. But, but the one I read a few years back, it said, it says 65% of adult men in America regularly view pornography. 64% of adult men in the church regularly view pornography. And that number's gone up in the last few years. There's a 1% difference. A 1% difference. What does that tell me? You know, it's easy to, it's easy to sort of say, well, well, they're not even saved. And, you know, that might, that might be true for some people. If, 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 you, if you are not overcoming sin and, and it's been that way, you have to ask yourself that question, right? But a lot of guys, they, they, they fall, they hate it, they repent, they weep, they get up, they're good for a while, they fall again, they hate it, they repent, they weep. It's not necessarily that they're not saved. They're children, Their growth has been stunted. Church, you can be a child for 50 years. They've never, they've never surrendered their life fully or they've never abided in the word so that the truth set them free. There's something along the line in this process that never happened so that their, their growth was stunted in spiritual childhood. And they never grew. Hmm. Church, we have to grow. Jesus paid a price for you to live totally free from sin. <sighs> I'm not saying that you'll ever attain perfection in this, in this life, but you're called to it. <laughs> Jesus said, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. 
I've come to the point in my life where I just believe that whatever Jesus called me to, he gave me the grace, the grace to accomplish. So I'm going to strive after it with everything in me. I'm going to believe him for it with everything in me. I'm going to pray for it and press in for it with everything in me. Church, Jesus paid a price not just for your forgiveness but for your freedom. And when you become a spiritual adolescent, you overcome the evil one. Amen? The next stage in growth, I noticed some more amens. You guys must be getting tired. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> the next stage in spiritual growth First, you become, a, you become a spiritual child. Then you become a spiritual adolescent. And then it goes to the third and final phase of, of growth in the life of a Christian. And what's interesting about this phase is not the description, but the title. Because it would make sense for John to write, I write to you children, I write to you young men, and I write to you old men. Or I write to you elders. But what he writes is he writes I write to you children, I write to you young men, and I write to you fathers. <laughs> and, and that's because, church, age or amount of time in the church has very little to do with spiritual maturity. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying, sis. You keep letting me know how I'm doing. <laughs> the mark of true spiritual maturity is that you've gone through these phases. You've had your sins forgiven. You've come to know God as your father. You've surrendered to him. You've overcome sin issues in your life. You, you've understood the word, and it's now abiding in you. You've become strong in what you believe, and now you've become a father in the faith or a mother in the faith. Church, what, what makes you a father? What makes you a father? Having a child? What else? Because there's a lot of dudes who have children and are not fathers. Go ahead. Supporting the child. What makes you a father is that you have a child and raise it. You have a child and that child grows up. Right? And you raise it and you're involved in their life. Church, this is what spiritual maturity looks like. I see a lot of stunted growth at this level, right? I have guys come to the altar all the time when I preach and they say, I know that God has more for me. I know he, has, he wants me to do more in ministry, but I just don't know what I'm supposed to do because we've created a model in America where people believe that if you don't have a microphone, you can't do ministry. Someone has to give you the microphone and the platform for you to be able to do ministry. No. I tell, I tell them all the same thing. Listen, no, find a few young men and begin to pour your life into them. Begin to reach out to your neighbors. Have spiritual children. Give birth to, to new believers, right? And then raise them. See, that's the other issue. The, the, the other issue is that, is that we have a system of evangelism that we've come to adopt where the goal is, if I go out on the streets, if you're bold enough to do that, God bless you because that's amazing, right? But if I go out on the streets and, and, you, and, and I, I, my goal, this was my goal for the first several years of my ministry. All I did was go out on the streets and preach and, and pray for the sick and do that kind of stuff for the first several years. And my goal was I wanted to go out. I wanted to pray for someone. I wanted to get them to pray the prayer after me to pray the sinner's prayer, and then hand them a Bible and say, find a church, God bless. No! <laughs> That's like you just gave birth to a baby in the natural, right? You took him out in the woods, you sat him on the ground and gave him a sword and said, good luck. What are the odds that that child would make it? What, what changed my ministry is when I look back and, you know, I'd always, oh, yeah, we saw 100 people come to Christ on the streets last week. I made the mistake of looking back to see how many were following. <sighs> Church, true spiritual maturity looks like becoming spiritual mothers and fathers. Giving birth to new Christians, but then taking them by the hand and walking them through these phases. Walking them through being a child, that, that super annoying childhood phase. And if you've ever discipled someone through this phase, it is annoying. 
But that's not the time to leave them, right? That's the time to take when, when one day everything's beautiful, they're in the presence of the Lord, and the next day they're texting you and saying, oh, everything's terrible, my life is falling apart. That's the time that you take them by the hand and say, everything's going to be okay. Come on, let's follow Jesus. Follow me as I follow Christ. It, it's about becoming a father and a mother to the next generation. Find some young men or some young women for you ladies to pour your life into. Maybe it's your neighbor who you get to lead to Christ in your living room. Or maybe, maybe it's a, a new person who comes in the church and gets saved on a Sunday morning and you say, hey, would, would you like to get coffee this week? And that's the other thing. It's not, it's not like, don't make it weird. <laughs> like we take the role, not the, not the title, right? Like, you don't walk up to the new person in your church and say, hello, I'm going to father you. No, you just, say, you just say, listen, man, I see something in your life. Can we get coffee next week? And then you get coffee with them, and you say, man, this was awesome. Can we get coffee again next week? And then before you know it, it's a weekly thing, and you're pouring everything that God's taught you into this, into this new believer. You're fathering them. You're leading them by the hand. And at first, people need to be spoon-fed. Right? I have two kids. I have a five-year-old and a three-year-old. I st- we still prepare their meals. Right? We still, we still cook for them. We put it on the plate. We give them a fork. You know, we, we don't have to cut up their food anymore, but we prepare the meal. We give it to them. We give them a fork. Like, they're still at that stage where they need that level of care. If I were at this point in my son's life, he's three, if I were at this point to say, you know, Joseph, I've been with you for a while now. <laughs> you still have the same issues. You ought to be feeding yourself at this point. There's the fridge. Have a good day. I'd, uh, you'd be calling CPS. I'd be a terrible father. A- and, then, and then at the same, at the same level, if he, was, if he was 22 years old and I'm still cutting the crust off his sandwich, <laughs> I'd be a terrible father because I never expected him to grow. This is what discipleship looks like, looks like, church. Discipleship is not a class. It's becoming spiritual fathers and mothers to the next generation of believers. And I'm telling you, there's nothing better than becoming a spiritual grandfather. <laughs> when your spiritual son, I have a spiritual son in Germany right now. I was there when he got saved. I was there when he got baptized in the Holy Ghost. I sent him to YWAM. I sent him to Bible college. I was there every step of the way, and now he's a pastor leading people to Christ in Germany. <laughs> There's nothing better. We, we, we have a, even this even this past year. You know, usually I travel. I had I had eight international trips planned for 2020. I went on one. <laughs> so what that meant is I was home a lot, right? And so people started coming to Christ in, in my town. First couple was in a coffee shop. I led to Christ and then led some other people to Christ. I was discipling them because, you know, I'm not just going to give them a Bible and say good luck, right? So I was discipling them weekly, and, and that turned into, into a group that was meeting in my home. And then very much by accident, I have a church in my house now, right? <laughs> like, and, like, all these people have been saved within the last year, and they're weeping on my, on my living room floor in worship to YouTube videos, right? And, and they've all been baptized in the Holy Spirit. They're leading their friends to Christ, I have, I have one daughter in the Lord who I led to Christ earlier this year, a few months ago, who's led two of her friends to Christ. She's getting ready to baptize them. This is how the church is meant to grow. This is how the church is meant to grow. It, it, it's not your pastor's job to grow the church. right? It's, it's his job to, to, to care for your spiritual health. But it's your job to grow the church. By having spiritual sons and spiritual daughters and taking them by the hand and leading them through this. The disciples understood this. I could, I could give you many, many scriptures to show you. Paul called Timothy his true son in the faith. He called the entire church in Corinth his children. He said, I became your father. He said, you have many guides but not many fathers. There was an understanding of what it meant to be a spiritual father and a spiritual mother to the